0: Um, and I was reading the scripture, and all of a sudden, God was like a go to the elephant slide. Now, um, I'm a, you know, I was a crazy haired guy, and, and crazy haired guys all by themselves shouldn't go to parks with young, you know what I'm saying? It just kind of weirds people out. Um, so I was like, well, what do you, like, go to the elephant slide, like, I, I don't understand, like, what's, you know, what's going to be there? So God, again, go to the elephant slide. And uh, so I get in my red Dodge Avenger. Anybody? Yeah? By the way, it had a hitch on it, right? The only Dodge Avenger I've ever seen that had a hitch on it because I like to carry my sound equipment in this. Anyway, um, so I, I get in my Dodge Avenger and I go to the park and kind of start walking up to this children's park. And uh, the parents automatically are like grabbing their kids and running for the hills. You know what I mean? They're like, who's the crazy guy that's, that's coming up? And, and so I'm starting to walk up and... And I see this elephant slide, and and uh, I'm getting closer to it. And now there's no one in the park; it's completely cleared out. And I'm like, so where did this kid like see God at the elephant slide? Like, what's the deal here? You know? So I'm like looking around. I find a piece of trash. I'm like, is this this can't be it? You know? And and I'm like looking all around. I, I find a flower. Right. So I'm like, oh yeah, this is here. It is. This is where he found it. And then God said, "Get on the slide." I mean. I'm not an extremely tall individual, but, you know, I'm six, one, six three in my high school, uh, you know, program, right? And, uh, and God says, well, get on the slide. So the slide was probably about, about this tall here, you know? So I stand up on the slide. I'm taller than the slide itself, you know? And, I, uh, and, and then God says, go down the slide, which literally means that all I'm going to do is sit down and my feet are going to touch the ground, you know? And so I sit down, and, I, and I, I touched the ground, and I stepped back, and I was like, oh, this little three, year old kid saw God in the joy of going up and down the slide, up and down, up and down, up and down. And so for him, when he came back to us, he was like, God's over at, at the elephant slide, because of the joy he was experiencing. There's something undeniable that happens when God speaks. Can we agree? There are few feelings or senses or times that are more compelling or more intuitive or more powerful than when you know God clearly speaks to you and calls you to action. Anybody? Now here's the remarkable thing about the passage tonight. Is God is going to speak through His Son Jesus to a rat pack of disciples. And they're going to hear His voice and they're going to be called to action. And I want to do something tonight before we move one step further. My prayer tonight for us, for you, for me, is that tonight each of us in our own way that still, small voice of a father. We hear it clearly, maybe for the first time, and that tonight we're called to action. Are you guys with me? So we're going to take a couple minutes and we're going to pray that 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 happens. So whatever that means for you, pray. Pray that God will come, that He will speak, that we'll hear clearly, and that you and I, because of the clear Confident voice of Christ will be called to action. I'll spend a couple of minutes just praying for that to happen. God, we claim tonight as a church body that there's no voice like Your voice. We say tonight together, unified, that there's no call like Your call. And so Father, will You please, by the great power of Your Spirit, speak. Will You do it through Your Word? Will You do it through the senses and the convictions and the power of Your Spirit that's inside many of us? Will You move in such a way tonight that we will undeniably be called by Your voice to follow You? Will You do that tonight? That's what we want. it's what we desire. Please, God, do that. In Your awesome name, Amen. So, if you're uh, just joining us tonight, we've been journeying through the Gospel of Luke. Uh, all of about two-year journey that has two weeks left, tonight and next week, and we'll be done with the Gospel of Luke. And could just give it up for that. Come on. Pretty crazy. I can tell you're excited. I don't know what that means. You either want to go to Luke for another, like you just want to redo, or you're just like, yeah, let's be done. I'm not sure, but either way, we're, we're here, right? Now, here's the amazing thing that happened last uh, a few weeks ago when we uh, last were studying Luke. It's Cleopas and his companion... We're journeying on, this, uh, on the way to this little village named what? Anybody? Emmaus. And Jesus shows up on their journey. And He's like, uh, so hey guys, what's going on? Like, like, are you the only one that hasn't heard about what's going on in Jerusalem? And Jesus goes, what things? Right? He plays, you know. And, and so all of a sudden, these two individuals get their minds opened. They see who Christ is. And they're like, we have to tell somebody. So they beeline back to, anyone? Back to Jerusalem. And there in Jerusalem, somehow, they find in this room, the disciples gathered. They think, Cleopas and his companion, think that they're going to be the ones that are going to tell the disciples, hey, Jesus is risen. He's alive. They bust open the door, and what happens? The disciples are already talking about the fact that he's alive, because he appeared to who? Simon Peter. So they walk in, they're expecting to be the ones bearing the news, they end up hearing the news, and it turns in to this, this dude high-five, Jesus is alive, you know? Well, the, way we, the way we communicated last time, it was this huge communal confirmation. Like all of us agreeing on something, and just having this massive party broke out. That was what it was like. Now, this story picks up right in the middle of that. So imagine all of these guys together, they're celebrating, they're excited, Jesus is alive. A little bit more overhead light, Craig, if you could, so the people can see their Bibles. Luke chapter 24, verse 36 says this. Are you guys all there? Sam, there. Yeah. Do you guys see your Bibles yet, or you need more light? light? More light, please. More light, Craig. Yes. Keep it coming. Yes. More, yeah. Oh, that's nice. Wonderful. Here we go. Verse 36 while they were still talking about this, by the way, it's on the first day of the week, Sunday, Jesus Himself stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Now, uh, at first glance, I just want to crack up at this, don't you? Right? It's like all of a sudden, and the other Gospels give us a little bit better indication of this, all of a sudden, Jesus is just standing among them. And so randomly, you have Christ in the room, and the words out of His mouth are, Peace be with you. You know? Like, this is not a thing that you hear often. Like, we don't walk up to each other unless there's like a robber that comes in our house, right? Like, peace be with you. I'm, don't, you know, right? Like, unless something like that happens, we, we don't say that to each other. But here's Jesus. Randomly. Peace be with you. Which is a strange greeting for a bunch of guys who I'm sure would be freaked out by that. But He says, peace be with you. Now, first glance again. It's kind of weird and funny. Second glance... Amazing. There's 13 times in the Gospel of Luke that Jesus says this word, peace. The Greek word is er, re, ne. Now, two times after He heals women in Luke chapter 7 and 8, He says to them, go in what? Go in peace. In another point in Scripture, Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. All throughout the Scripture, in Luke chapter 10, when He sends out the 72, what does He tell them? When you enter a house, what do you say? You say, peace be unto you. And if they're a man of peace, then you pass the peace. All this peace talk, it's kind of crazy. But now, listen, when you realize that Jesus has been crucified, now raised from the dead, can we agree with one another that when He walks in the room and He says, peace be with you, there's some weight to that. Anytime Jesus says, peace be, be with you, now all of a sudden, despite him saying, I haven't come for peace, but for what? Division was the Scripture in Luke. It's completely different. He was saying, look, I'm going to cause controversy because some people, are, some people are going to come to me and others aren't. Some people will be experiencing the peace that I have to give. Others will not. But regardless, it makes me think about this statement. When you're in the presence of Jesus, is there anything more peaceful um, some of you guys know that we're impregnated. Um, my wife is impregnated with uh, baby number two. His name is Dawson Burney. Uh, any Dawson's Creek fans here? Perfect. We didn't name him after Dawson, uh, just so you know. Uh, Dawson and Dawson's Creek. Last couple days, uh, we had to go in for some tests. And, uh, and, and everything's okay. They found this bright spot and an ultrasound on his heart, and so we had to go back in. And I was sitting there in the doctor's office thinking to myself, if someone doesn't have Christ, like, what do they do in that moment? Like, when, you know, when the doctor's come in and they're saying, hey, we, you know, we need to do some more tests, like, what do, you, what do you do? What hope do you have to cling to beyond just some psychological hope of that something good will happen to you, like karma or something? Look, let me tell you something. As I sat in, in the doctor's office yesterday and just a microcosm of life in general, I sit there knowing no matter what, no matter what the doctor says when he comes back in this room, because of Christ, I have peace. Now what I hear most often from people who don't know Christ is what? Turmoil. Chaos. How many of you guys have met a, a good buddy of mine now, Rob? We saw a video of him on Christmas Eve. The big way he described his life in the past was just, it was crazy. I, I never had this moment where I just was able to take a deep breath and have hope in life. Some of you are right there right now. Let me tell you something. The only hope that you have, the only opportunity at peace that you have, is through the blood of Christ. And then, no matter what storm may come, no matter what chaos or controversy may arise, at the end of the day, you say to God, be the glory. I want to encourage you with, these guys are excited, and all of a sudden Jesus shows up and says a very powerful word, because it's what He is. Peace. So the disciples' reaction, like you and I, verse 37, they were startled and frightened. You know? Like you and I would be, Right? All of a sudden, the figure of Christ is in the room. He said, peace be with you. And they're thinking they saw a what? A ghost. Anyone else interested in this language here? A ghost. Right? Like, this is kind of weird. Just to even be talking about ghosts in the Scripture, isn't it? Like, you don't see ghosts often in the Scriptures, by the way. And uh, uh, So is He going to like tell us the ghosts are real? World? We're, we're not, even, not even touching that. okay? But what I will touch is that culturally, the idea of a ghost is a very fearful thing. Can we agree? True or not? Right? So, so here's the deal. Uh, I was watching Unsolved Mysteries when I was younger. Have you, any of you guys seen this show? Probably the freakiest show ever created. You can watch reruns of 15 years ago, and you're still like... Because here's the deal. Like, the music is like... you know, And you're just like, what is... This? And then, listen to this. Then at the end, what does the guy say? And if... You see this guy in your backyard holding a machete coming after your head. Please call 911. You're like, what? You're like looking around. You know what I'm saying? I'm like every time he's like, if he's in your living room right now. I'm just like, what? You know, what do you do? So anyway, uh, my first interaction with a ghost was from Unsolved Mysteries. Literally like 16 or 17 years ago, I'm watching Unsolved Mystery. The crazy dude is on there. And, and this ghostly figure is like passing around these bushes. I still remember it today. There's something crazy about just the image or the thought culturally of ghosts. They think here that they have seen a ghost and it startles and frightens them. Now I want to bring your attention to this next part of the scripture. Jesus says to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? There is something to doubt here for them. They're not doubting the fact that Jesus has resurrected, at least not most of them. Because they've just been celebrating that. Can you agree? I mean, they've just, Cleopas and his companion have just come down. Hey, he's risen. Simon Peter saw him. He's risen. The doubt here is whether or not this figure is Jesus. And so they're troubled. And doubts rise in their minds. And they're struggling with inwardly, don't you love... How Jesus consistently sees through the persona of people. I mean, they haven't said anything, right? They're just startled, and he's like, "Hey, uh, why do doubts rise in your minds?" Like he just—he knows what they're thinking. They're troubled and they're startled because they've lived in a whirlwind of emotions. On Friday, what are the disciples doing? Running. They're fearful. They think all of what they've been following is now gone. They're running now. Simon Peter's seen the risen Christ. Now they're they're excited. Then Jesus comes in the room. And now they're fearful. I mean, this is a chaos whirlwind of emotions. Verse 39 says this. Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Uh, now, for those of you guys that have been with me or around me in the last six months, at this point in the message, you would, have, you would hear me say, if we were conversing, prove it, you know what I mean? Like I just We're a very proof society, and just to kind of make light of that, I've been saying that a lot recently. But here's Jesus. He says, look at my hands, look at my feet, it is me. It's I, myself. Touch me and see. A ghost, Jesus refers to it, does not have flesh and what? Bones. As you see, I have. When He had said this, He showed them His hands and His feet. Now, for me, a big question arose when I was reading the Scripture here. Jesus is resurrected from the dead. Agreed? He's not yet ascended into heaven. Agreed? So He's in this in-between period. His body, essentially, is kind of in this glorified yet not yet glorified version and for whatever reason and we're going to dive into this the wounds are still on him when he shows them his hands his wrists and his feet the wounds are visible interesting isn't it at least interesting so why Jesus why would the wounds still be there? Like, why, why would we understand them to still be there? Well, the easy answer is what? Is evidence. When he shows himself to the disciples and to many others, as the Gospels record, this is evidence. Hey, it's not... Have you guys seen Star Wars? Any of you guys seen Star Wars? Now, okay. For the rest of us, just work with me. There's this Yoda, okay? It's this little green midget, alright? Now, I don't know what Star Wars he dies in. Do you guys know? Okay, he dies in one of them. After he dies, he shows up to Luke Skywalker as what? This like epiphanied version of himself. Like once in a while Luke's driving, all of a sudden like Yoda's right here. It was important, work with me, for the disciples to understand Christ as resurrected and present and real, not just some epiphanied Yoda version. Are you with me? And so when he shows himself as real, it begins the first of four things. That in this passage, and this is why this passage is brilliant for you and I. He's got his boys and he's getting ready to do some last things before he leaves. Tonight we're going to look at the four things in this passage that he does. The first, put this up, point one. The first thing, the first proof that he needs to say is that the Christ is alive. Look at my hands. Look at my feet, boys. The Christ is living. He's here. He's resurrected. He's alive. You've got to believe that. Touch and see, he says. There can be no doubt. For them to understand the mission. For them to clearly grasp the call. The doubt of reality must not be present. Are you with me? You and I can relate to that. The moments that you and I begin to struggle with doubts in our hearts and our minds about who Christ is, is the moment that we're easily swayed from mission. Agree? The moments when we begin in our own minds to question and to wonder are the moments where our attention shifts from the call and are focused more on the doubts. Now I'm not saying that questions aren't important. I'm not saying it's not important to wrestle. I'm just saying that in the garden, the tactic of the enemy was to create Doubt. That has not changed. So for many of you tonight that are dealing with doubt, for many of these disciples who were struggling with doubt, He needed to show, look, touch and see, I'm alive. I'm risen. The Scripture goes on in verse 41. And by the way, there's there's two things that we're going to study. Why the wounds? The second will come back here in a moment. And while I still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, hold on a second. This, they didn't believe it because of joy and amazement? Like Have you ever um, had this moment when something was too good to be true? Right? Like you got some check in the mail for three billion dollars. You're like, hold on a second. You know? It's some random you know, signature that's been copied with photo paper, you know. I've done that before. I'm like, Heidi, look, we scored ten Gs, you know. And then, you know, you got a little oh hold on a second, you know. This is one of those moments. They are in a whirlwind of emotion. Is this really Christ? Joy, amazement. What, what emotions have we seen? Joy, amazement, fear, doubt. Startled. Can you be all those at once? I don't even know that it's possible. But these guys are. All of these emotions at once. They're struggling. They're wrestling. He asked them in the middle of verse 41. Do you have anything to eat? <laughs> um, have any of you guys seen Ghostbusters? Yeah, remember Slimer. There was a scene in Ghostbusters where Slimer just starts to pound the food. Where does the food go? You guys remember? Like on the floor, right? Because he's, he's a, he's a goat. Like he's a ghost. So he's just pounding all this food, but it just goes down the floor. Well, this is the moment, right? If he's an image, the food will not be digested. So he's like, hey boys, you got anything to eat? You know? Let's, let's work through this. So look at this. Verse 42. They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it. And he ate it in their presence. What images do you think were coming in their minds at that moment? To see Christ digest. I want to share something with you guys. Um, a couple of weeks ago when we were teaching this communal confirmation moment. The thought, and I shared this with some of you guys after the service, that I had mid-message, and I didn't share it, was that when Peter and all the guys were celebrating, Peter's seen the risen Christ, i got to think that one of the things that was going through the mind of Peter is if this is real, then I know what's next. Can you imagine that moment? When these guys see Jesus eat a broiled fish... And there is a sense of, if he's real, then there is no turning back ever. Ten of eleven will be killed because of their faith. And the other would have been. Because at this moment, the reality of Christ causes this, I will never be the same. The reality of Christ does that. The power of the Gospel does that. That realization that you and I will never be the same. So He eats this piece of broiled fish in verse 44. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses the Prophets and the Psalms, which is the three-fold breakdown of the Hebraic Scripture. You have the Law, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. You have the Prophets that prophesy about who Christ would be and what would happen to the uh, Gentiles and the Israel nation. And then you have this what's called here the Psalms or the Wisdom Books. But he says, look... All of these things were to be fulfilled. And the brilliant thing is he does what he did with Cleopas and his companion in verse 45. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the Scriptures. If the broiled fish wasn't cool, this certainly was. It was this moment... For Cleopas and his companions, when their eyes were opened to the reality that all of Scripture was pointing to Christ, that caused them to jet back to Jerusalem and say, He's alive. So here, understand this. You have a bunch of men in a room celebrating the resurrection who have been around them for how many years? Three. They've seen the miracles. They've seen the healings. They've heard the teachings. They've been sent out multiple times to be a portrayal of the gospel. And just now, does their minds get open to the Scripture? Can you imagine that moment, if you will? Now, uh, for me, this is point number two. The Scripture is all fulfilled in Jesus. Four things that He would leave with His disciples. The second, as you see me, all of Scripture, here I am, was waiting on me was pointing to me every word in the Hebraic scripture here I am the fulfillment of it the perfect Passover what? Lamb the suffering what? servant and now what? the glorified king all three pieces prophesied about and now what? fulfilled in Christ now stay with me here what would happen for the disciples at this moment would be some tension. Why? Because it would have been easy for them now to see the cross as something of the past. Are you guys with me? They would see the cross and say, okay, hold on a second. The cross was something that happened. It was bad. Jesus died. That wasn't good. And so it would have been easy for them at that moment to say the cross is done with. And now He's resurrected. He's resurrected. And so now, it's consummation. The kingdom has come. The resurrection means it's all over. Understand this. When their minds open, the script, when, when, there's, when the Scripture in their minds all of a sudden just is, is blaringly loud, it's the realization that the cross wasn't the end and the resurrection isn't the consummation. And now, we're back to the wounds. If you're a disciple, and you see the wounds, and you understand the scripture now, do you know what you begin to realize? That the cross was necessary. For you and I, that may be easy. For them who ran from the cross, can we agree that was no easy realization? But now they see the wounds... And now they understand, hold on a second, the cross, like it wasn't the end. It had to happen. He's the Passover lamb. He was what Isaiah was talking about. He was what the prophets were saying. Had to die so that sins could be atoned for. That realization is coming to their minds. And He had to raise from the dead. Conquer death. And that together, the cross, the life of Christ, is the gospel. Not just the cross. Not just the resurrection. It would have been so easy just to preach the cross or just to preach the resurrection. Can't happen. They go hand in hand. All of Scripture was turning to me. All of Scripture was pointing to me. I died. I atoned sin. I conquered death. That's the Gospel. And as a disciple, if you see the wounds and your mind's open to the Scriptures, it's the realization that the Bible is beautiful. So tough in moments. So hard when people are dying and a Savior is crucified. But oh, the plan of God. Friends, look. Can you imagine that moment when their minds are open to the scriptures? What they had to see about the sovereignty of God. It had to be one of the most overwhelming moments in their life when they said the plan of God. God's will by God's power for God's glory. An amazing, brilliant moment in the Scriptures. And then he goes on. He told them, This is what is written. That Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. He's bringing their minds back to the things that Scripture had talked about. And what? Repentance and forgiveness of sins. What's the next word? Will be preached in His name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. So if you thought for a second that the resurrection was the consummation, now He just completely ruined that because because He said repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached to all the nations. Third point that He says, He needs these disciples to know the mission is clear. The mission is completely clear. Preach repentance, forgiveness of sins, go. Matthew records it what? Go and make disciples of all nations. This same moment, that same idea of commissioning, go. The mission is completely clear. First time I ever preached repentance and forgiveness to someone was in the third grade. Um, uh, You guys remember those circular concrete things on the playgrounds? Really just death traps is what they are. You know what I mean? Because eventually it just gets all nasty in there, but it's cool anyway because you're a kid and you don't care. There was this kid that cussed in my third grade class and uh, went home and told my mom, Hey, mama, there's this kid that cusses in, in uh, my third grade class. My mom was like, well, he needs Jesus. You know, I was like, yeah, you know, I, I agree. And uh, <laughs> just so happens, funny thing, funny how this works, that same day the Gideons passed out Bibles. You know what I mean? So I get to school and I get one of these green Gideon Bibles. And I'm feeling empowered at this point. I'm like, it's go time. Like, this is clearly a sign. Mom just said he needs Jesus. I got my Gideon Bible. We're ready to roll. So I walk up to this kid. I said, hey, uh, can you meet me in the concrete circular thing in five minutes? Whatever I called it back then. I don't know. He's like, sure, what's up? I was like, don't worry about it. You know, just, just show up. And uh, so I, I'm in there waiting, not praying. All right, waiting, and uh, and he he walks in, and I just look at him, and I, I say, "Hey, you cuss a lot, don't you?" He's like, "Well, I, yeah, yeah, I guess I cuss." I'm like, "You know what? You're gonna go to hell, buddy. All right, you need to stop that cussing. You need to repent." I like, I the only one the only John three sixteen for God's like this is the i the, the dude rolled after like ten seconds. You know what I'm saying? Never again, friends. But my first experience. With preaching repentance and forgiveness, was this moment where, listen to this, where I felt like I had something to give that this guy needed from me. Uh, several years later, uh, my wife and I journeyed with some uh, people to Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. Uh, you guys all know where Brazil is, right? The south of Iowa and a uh, beautiful place. And, uh, So we go down there, and one of the big tasks of this trip is that we're going to be preaching every night in in these different churches, huge churches. And I'm just confessing my own pride to you that I was the one that um, was called and, and got the opportunity to stand up in front of thousands of people every night in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, with an interpreter. And every night afterwards, we would present the gospel, and as I would talk to people through interpreters, telling them about Jesus, when I look back on that trip, let me tell you something. My motivation was 100% about the agenda that I had using Christ for that agenda in the means to create some type of energy. And so we would go back at night, literally hundreds, and I've shared this story with you. There was a famous soccer, uh, soccer star that was there one of the nights that gave his life to Christ. And I went, ba- I went back that night and we were so excited. Not about what Christ had done, But because the soccer star had come to Christ and we had used Jesus for our own agenda, I was dead wrong. I had taken this call to preach repentance and forgiveness of sins and used it as my means to create energy for myself. There would have been a huge temptation for the disciples to follow in that path. Jesus is gone, and so now what? Now we're the dudes. Now we get to portray this great message of repentance. Yeah, it will be tough and we might die, but we'll die as great martyrs. Problem is, the passage continues. Verse 48. You are witnesses of these things. Look at this. I am going to send you what my Father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power From on high. Stay in the city. There's power coming. You have been witnesses to these things. In other words, you can't not preach repentance and forgiveness. Jesus at this moment says, the Holy Spirit is going to be raining down in a few short days. And we know the distance between the Passover and the Pentecost was 50 days. So wherever this day lands, compared to that, it's a short amount of time that all of a sudden, empowerment's going to come down. The fourth thing that Jesus has to communicate with these boys is the promised Holy Spirit will come and be the catalyst to the mission. The Spirit will guide. The Spirit will direct. Now, Jesus uses some interesting language, doesn't He? He says the what? The promised Holy Spirit. Isn't it also interesting in another point in Scripture, Jesus says, look, you want me to go. Because unless I go, then the Holy Spirit can't come. You want me to leave because the Holy Spirit is a great thing. Joel chapter 2. Put this up for me. In the Old Testament, Scripture says this. And afterward, this is talking about the day of the Lord, and afterward I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on My servants, both men and women, I will pour out My Spirit in those days. Just one of many prophecies that the, that the Holy Spirit will come. But then the next question is, what is exactly the Holy Spirit? The promise is that He'll come. Well, what is the Holy Spirit? Put this up. This is a spattering of... 11 or 12 things that the Holy Spirit is. First, reveals the things of God. Next, it brings the words of Christ to remembrance. It directs in the way of godliness. He enables ministers to teach. He comforts. He dwells within saints. He searches all things. He imparts hopes. Reveals the things of Christ. He sanctifies. He guides into all truth. He helps our infirmities. And He imparts the love of God. Those are just a few. Can we agree the Holy Spirit's a good thing? Well, the problem is... If Jesus says things are going to be preached, repentance and forgiveness, and here, I'm going to give you the Spirit to be a catalyst so that you can do that. You and I both know the disciples do that. They die because of it. It's a tough moment for you and I, isn't it? So is repentance and forgiveness of sins being preached by me, and by you. If the same Spirit is within all of us who believe, and the Spirit is all of that list, then I want to ask you guys, what's the problem? If the Spirit is those things, if He guides us into all truth, if He shares all these truths with us, then what is the problem? Why are you and I struggling, preaching repentance and forgiveness of sins that's all about the glory of God and not our own agenda? Why are we struggling? If you have your Bibles, open to Romans chapter 7 with me, please. Romans chapter 7. Thankfully, the Scripture helps answer our question. Romans chapter 7, verse 21. When you're there, Sam. i there. Uh, thankfully, the same struggle. Like, why aren't I... Look, I, I just want to be real with you guys before we read this passage. There's so many times in my life where I feel like, I just want more of your spirit. You know, I just... I, I hate this dead piece of my life that just seems to come at... Like, I just want more of your spirit, you know? And then there's other times where I say that I want that, but I haven't prayed for that. I haven't yearned for that. I haven't craved that. Look look at the writer here, Paul. Verse 21 of chapter 7. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body. Look. Raging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. This is Paul. He was a baller. Because Christ made Him so, right? But he takes this moment and he says, what a wretched man I am. What is he doing? He's preaching the Gospel to himself. If we even want to begin thinking about sharing repentance and forgiveness of sins to the world, then we better be preaching the gospel to ourselves. What a wretched man I am. You remember Peter's first interaction with Christ? What does he say? He's down on his face. I am unworthy. But look at this. He goes on. It's not just, what a wretched man I am. Look. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's preaching the Gospel to yourself. What a wretched man I am. But thanks be to God. Through who Jesus Christ, I've been saved by grace through faith. This war is raging inside of us. Trying to distinguish the Spirit's and this war is happening all around us. And uh, just flip your page in Romans chapter eight, verses twelve through sixteen. This tells us more about this obligation here to the sinful spiritual, a uh, spiritual nature. The opposite of that. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are what? Are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the Spirit of Sonship. When the Holy Spirit is residing in your life, and that war that's raging within you, is battling. Let me tell you something: Is you're living by one of those natures, the sinful nature or the spirit, and Jesus promises the spirit, and says, "Look, I know that it's going to be impossible for the eleven of you to change the course of human history. I know it's impossible. That's why I'm sending you the spirit." who's going to empower you and be the catalyst. And what do they do? The fruits of the Spirit just bleed out of them. And repentance and forgiveness is the very message that Peter stands up and shares in Acts chapter 2 verse 38. And what does Scripture says happened? 3,000 people come to Christ that day. When you're guided by the Spirit, here's what happens. My third grade punk heart my prideful heart in Brazil, my shameful self that still struggles with pride and this being about me, when you're guided by the Spirit, you don't see Jesus as something that you need to give to people. The Spirit allows you to simply be a voice for the Gospel. Everything's pointing to Him, all praise is Him, all gratitude is Him, and you see yourself as but a messenger, not the message. And that spirit, when it guides you, friends, it is so powerful because you hear the voice of God and you're sent out with what? A tremendous amount of confidence because you know it's not in and of yourself, but it's Him doing it for His namesake and for His glory. And so then all of a sudden, we're building relationships in St. Charles, yes, but we're praying for opportunities To share and to preach repentance and forgiveness of sins. It doesn't change the focus of relational evangelism. It enhances it. Because we know as ministers of the gospel, that's all that we have. That's all that we are. I want to ask you guys tonight, if you feel like you're living by the Spirit or this other nature, Jesus promised to these boys, it's coming. Just wait. And the four things, and put up the, f- the four points again, Andrew. The amazing thing about these four things is that 2,000 years later, none of these four things has changed. It's these same four things that the voice of God and the Scripture would like to communicate with you tonight. The Christ is alive. Jesus is the fulfillment of all the scriptures. The mission is absolutely clear. And the Holy Spirit is yours through a relationship with Jesus and will be the catalyst. They go from this moment, and what happens? Because of the Spirit, they do it. Church, will we? Will we continue to surrender to the great Spirit of God and say, God, would You guide us? God, would, you, would Your Spirit dwell in us so deeply? Uh, there's a bunch of guys that are going to be passing out something to you. If you guys can help me out right now. Everyone needs one of these pieces of paper. There's uh, this book. It's called The Valley of Visions. That is a bunch of prayers taken from the Puritans. This is a prayer for more of the Spirit to come. If He is alive, and the mission is clear, then the question that you and I have to wrestle with is, why isn't the Gospel being preached? Why are we still hesitant? What we're going to do tonight as a church is not believe that we have any answers in and of ourselves, but that we can plead for him and ask for him. And so I'm going to provide an opportunity right now for you to go anywhere in this room. Maybe you need to sit against the wall. Maybe you need to go over here. Maybe you need to be in the back. Maybe you need to get on your face. This for some of you will become your prayer right now. Spirit, please come. I want the deadness, the transgressions in me to go away. Please come and reside in me. For some of you, you never cried for that before. You've never pleaded for that before. This is the moment. And so I just want to encourage you as the band just just plays for us and we're able just to think and meditate and pray and cry to the Lord, I would ask that you'll find a spot in this room that you'll read through this prayer. And together as a church, we'll ask the Holy Spirit to fall on our lives. So that we can go empowered with the gospel. God, would you make your agenda known? Will you decrease our worth that we may see our full worth and our full confidence in you? God, will you drop your spirit on Matthias' lot? Will we be a church, God, that is not about our own pride and success, but about preaching repentance and forgiveness of sins? Because we love you. And we just desire to be obedient to the call that you placed on our life. Oh, Spirit, would you come? Fill our hearts, fill our lives. Decrease our deadness. God, make us alive in your Spirit. Church, what does it look like to worship unabandoned? What does it look like to worship when the Spirit of God is dwelling so strongly? What does that look like? Let's respond now. Let's respond now to God's initiation. Come on.